Read along with me if you would. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Lord God, we submit ourselves again today to the authority of your word in our lives, asking that your spirit would open our eyes and soften our hearts, teach us the gospel, show us Jesus, and make us your people so that we would reflect your character and nature to a world that, that needs to know you in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm what I call a total info hound. The more inputs, the better. It's actually kind of why I'm always stressed. No, really, I'm always <laughs> stressed. But it's sort of my own fault, really. I go to bed early so I can get up early and read and think and digest and pray and read and think and digest and pray through as much information from as many sources about as much interesting stuff and as many varied subjects as I can possibly get through in a few hours. And I love it. In fact, if you see me around town or, or driving or at the store or even walking around at church, if, if I ignore you, it's probably not on purpose. It might be on purpose, but it's probably not on purpose. I've likely got my earbuds in uh, even while I'm in the store listening to a, a book or an article or a podcast or a sermon. I love it. But it also stresses me out. Any stressed out info hounds out there? It's okay to admit it, y'all. That's the first step to recovery. It's like we say in Regeneration, my name is Scott, I have a new life in Christ, and I am in recovery from Infowhelm. So, so yeah, I'm bordering on pathological Infohound, which means I think I have a pretty good understanding of the paralysis many of us are feeling right now. We're living in an age of Infowhelm where promises and answers, they come constantly and from everywhere. And yet the more we, we know, it seems the less we are sure of and the less we are content. <laughs> so friends, we're here today, worshiping God and turning to the scriptures. Because in a time of infowhelm and uncertainty and worry and fear, when the illusion of the control that we once relied on is gone, and where our world promises more than it can deliver, it is only the character and nature of an eternal and a holy God who created all things that can serve as an anchor for our lives. Like we said last week, in a world that may feel like it's imploding, when we feel out of control, the only true fix 
for us and for the world is to, is to see and to savor, to savor who God is, to see and savor who God is, because doing so resets the priorities of our hearts and it lifts our heads to see beyond the circumstances of today and to recognize that God is real, that he is still on his throne, and that none of this surprises him, is beyond him, worries him, or throws off his purposes. In a cultural moment filled with fear and worry and pain and infowhelm, who God is is greater than what evil does. And when we know him, who he is is greater than the difficulty of our current circumstances. And so this week, we learn about who God is. by learning about how he is independent. And while God being independent may not sound at first like a very helpful characteristic of God for today, maybe not for your circumstances it feels like at first, actually God being independent not only helps us understand that he is more worthy of our worship than we know, but it can also help us understand our larger purpose and meaning in the here and now. Now, we'll jump into that soon, but first, you need to know about the two main categories into which we're dividing our 12-week study of God's attributes. We will be following classic theological categories by dividing God's attributes into these two sections, these two categories, God's incommunicable and communicable attributes. Now, if this is starting to sound a little like high school biology class, where you learned about communicable diseases as diseases that can be caught or, or spread, then you're already a leg up on understanding what these two categories mean. So if an attribute of God is communicable, it is more shared with us as humans. If it's communicable, we can catch it, at least some. If it is an incommunicable attribute of God, it is less shared by us. We can't catch it as much. And notice I said more shared and less shared. It isn't that we cannot share any of God's incommunicable attributes, but that we cannot share much of those attributes when com compared with God's communicable attributes. So, for example, Scripture says that God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end, and he's outside of time. That is an incommunicable attribute of God because we are not eternal. We are created beings and are subjects to the limitations of time. However, we can remember the past. We even have a sense of the awareness of the future. And according to scripture, everyone lives forever somewhere with Jesus or without. So we are experiencing some of God's eternality, his foreverness. And the Bible says that we can know God in part as a reflection. So, so that's why we say incommunicable attributes are less shared by us than communicable attributes. And communicable attributes are more shared by us than incommunicable attributes. Clear as mud? All right. Now here's our thesis statement this week about God's independence. And for everyone 
of these incommunicable attributes that we cover in this series. We're going to have a thesis statement like this that posits something about God in the first part of the statement from his character and nature, and then in the second part of the thesis statement, a clarifying statement that relates to that attribute. If you look back at last week's three points, you'll notice a similar format. So here is our thesis statement this week about God's independence. God is independent in that he doesn't need us nor creation for anything. Yet, second part of the thesis, we and creation can glorify him and bring him joy. God is independent in that he doesn't need us nor creation for anything. Yet, we and creation can glorify him and bring him joy. This incommunicable attribute of God, his independence, is, is also often called God's self-existence or his aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y, meaning his of himself or from himselfness. This is like saying that God is, is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything from anyone or, or anything or anywhere ever to exist as God. He is absolutely and utterly independent from us or the rest of creation or unknown aliens in supposed parallel universes. The Bible teaches this idea in several places, well, except for the aliens part. Uh, in fact, the Bible basically assumes God's independence, his self-existence, from the very beginning of the scriptures, from the very first words in Genesis Scripture doesn't really argue for God's existence, but simply assumes it throughout. Because think about it, how do you use words and concepts deriving from an entirely dependent creation that knows nothing but its own creaturely dependence to accurately describe the existence of an entirely independent creator who is self-existent? By the way, if you followed that last part, you should go into theology and philosophy, and let's talk later. So, in several places, Scripture teaches that God does not need us, nor creation, for anything, and that He is self-existent. In Job 41.11, within a context within which Job and his friends had sort of been talking this good game as if their human wisdom could meaningfully discern the eternal purposes of God. In that context, God asked Job, in Job 41, uh, 41, 11, he says to Job, who has given to me that I should repay him? The answer is no one. Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Think about this. If God is who Scripture says here, one to whom no one has ever given, then anything that we would consider a contribution to God's kingdom or his glory or his purposes came in the first place from him. No one or no thing has ever contributed to God one thing that did not come from him in the first place. Revelation 4.11 tells us that we, that they, all of creation, were created, and we all find our very existence by God's will. It's like Colossians 1, 16 to 7 say about Jesus. All things were created through him 
and for him. He is before all things, meaning he came before all things, and in him all things hold together. Think about this. All stuff that became stuff or continues to be stuff, because the self-existent creator of all stuff doesn't need all that stuff for him to exist in the first place, means that all that stuff exists from him, and he doesn't need that stuff, which is some cool stuff. In Psalm, the 50th chapter, verses 10 to 12, God says, every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the air and all that moves in the field is mine. Listen to this. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. In other words, you wouldn't hear about it, not because God's actually hungry like a human, but because he could feed himself if he needed and because he isn't a contingent being like we are. Why? For the world and all that is in it, he says, is mine. God doesn't need us to exist, to be who he is. Psalm 90 verse 2 has a prayer of Moses where he tells us that God existed before creation. He says, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From forever past to forever in the future, you have been, you are God. Apart from creation, aside from us. That's why we call him holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, entirely other. He is by himself and of himself, perfect, holy, infinite, eternal God. We even see God's independence when he reveals his name to Moses in Exodus, the third chapter, verse 14. God says to Moses, I am who I am, which sounds like a weird name at first, sure, but he's saying, I am who I am. I have been who I have been. I am who I am. I will be who and what I will be, which, by the way, is another way to translate this statement I will be what I will be. That's why we call him the Alpha and the Omega. The implication is that God's existence and character are not determined by something or someone outside of himself, but by himself and in himself and from himself alone. His existence, his character, his nature, his perfection, his glory, his holiness are not dependent on anyone or anything else, which means that God's being always has been and will always be exactly what it is. He's not dependent upon any part of creation for his existence or his nature. Without creation, God would still be infinitely loving, infinitely just, eternal, omniscient, three-in-one, and everything else we could say about him that describes who he actually is, which is amazing. Finally, one of the last places I want to look and it tells us about this is in Acts, the 17th chapter. Acts 17, 24 to 25. Paul, 
Paul is taking on the famous Athenian philosophers at this place called the Areopagus, where they would join together each day and talk about the important stuff of the world. And, and he says this, preaching to them, proclaiming about God. He says this, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of, of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The implication here, friends, the implication is that God does not need anything from mankind, from you or from me. He doesn't need you for him to be God. People sometimes think that God created humans because he was lonely or, or he needed us. God wasn't lonely. He is perfect and altogether righteous and good and holy and just. And Jesus has a conversation in John 17, verses 5 and 24, a couple good places here. Jesus has a conversation. He's praying with God the Father. And this is also implied in a number of other passages where we learn that there was perfect love and communion among God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before we were around, before creation. So God is quite happy to be himself, thank you very much, in perfect love and communion, in fullness of glory without us. He is absolutely independent of you or me or anything else in all creation. That's part of what makes him God. And it's not just that he doesn't need anything or anyone else. This is a way of saying that he is totally unique as God and distinct from all else in creation. He is a fundamentally different order of being, existing from all eternity past, dependent upon not one single iota of anything or anyone else. And as one theologian has said, it is not just that we exist and God has always existed. It is also that God necessarily exists in an infinitely better, stronger, and more excellent way than the rest of creation. The difference between God's being God and us being us, it's more than the difference between the sun and a candle or the difference between the ocean and a raindrop, more than the difference between the Arctic ice cap and a snowflake, more than the difference between the universe and the room we're sitting in. God's being is altogether qualitatively different. No limitation or imperfection in creation should be projected onto our thought of God. Don't miss this. No, no imperfection or limitation that we see in creation should ever be projected onto our thoughts of God because he's creator and all else is creaturely and utterly dependent on this altogether independent God. All else might pass away in an instant, but God necessarily exists forever. To say that God is independent in the sense we're saying today is to say that what makes him different is what makes him great. Now you may wonder, if, if God doesn't need us, then are we important at all? Is there any significance to our existence or the existence of, of creation? Here's the crazy part. 
Notice the second half of our thesis statement. First half says God is independent and that he doesn't need us nor creation for anything. Second half, yet we and creation can glorify him and bring him joy. God being independent and self-existent and totally God without anything from anybody does not make us nor the rest of creation meaningless. In fact, our meaning derives from being made by this independent God who determined by his creation of us that we are meaningful to him. That is, in fact, the definition of our significance. You are significant because a self-existent being who, who is independent and who doesn't need you and who is beyond need, that self-existent eternal God of the universe created you and determined that you can glorify him and bring him joy. In Isaiah 43, 7, God speaks of his own children, his sons and daughters. And he says, as everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Meaning those he's called by his name are his own, his sons and daughters, whom he created for his glory, whom he formed and made. Think about this. Even though God didn't need to, he chose to create us to glorify him and bring him joy. Ephesians 1, 11 through 12 say, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be, listen to this, to the praise, for the praise of his glory. God himself says he delights in his people. He rejoices over them. Isaiah 62, 3 to 5 says, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So shall your God rejoice over you. Friends, God does not need us for anything, yet it is the amazing fact of our existence that he chooses to delight in us and allows us to bring joy to him. This is the basis for personal significance in the lives of all God's people. To be significant to God is to be significant in the most ultimate sense. No greater personal significance can be imagined. So here's today's takeaway question. In what specific way do you need to give in to the truth that you depend on God in order to glorify him and to bring him joy that you are currently refusing? Thank you.
you can depend on a God who doesn't have to depend on you. Think about it. This is why we can trust him. It means that a self-sufficient God can be what we most truly need. It means that Jesus can be all-sufficient Savior. Because he lived the sinless life you could not and became a perfect sacrifice you needed, you can depend on his perfection to atone for your sin. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you are who you are. The scriptures reveal to us a picture of your character and nature. reflection in the creation around us, but not clearly, not in ways that we need, which is we need to know that you're a God who exists because of who you are, 